0: Well, good morning, everybody, and it's good to be with you again today. My name is Tim, and uh, we're in a series called The New Normal. You know, in our lifetime, we're, we constantly experience moments that are going to modify the way we live. Technology is going to do that. Maybe something happens in your life, an event or a milestone. A personal experience, even a choice, can open up a whole new chapter in your life. And I want you to know this morning that God wants to open up something new in your life as well. Look at this passage with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It says in verse 17, Paul said these words, Whoever is a believer in Christ is a new creation. The old way of living has disappeared, and the new way of living has come into existence. What's he talking about here? He's talking about trusting God. You see, when you trust God, he leads you to a series of transitions a new direction, a new set of values, a new mission. It's a whole new way of life. And sometimes, when you think about it, sometimes life heads in a new direction on the heels of a mistake. And today, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about what God wants you to learn from your mistakes. John 8, chapter chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, has a great story of, of someone who's, Uh, made a huge mistake in their life. And it's about the woman caught in adultery. Let's read it together here. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. I'm reading out of the New International Version. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They were using this, this question as a trap in order for the basis of accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write in the ground with his finger. When he had kept on, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus is using this incident here to teach the crowd, the scribes and the Pharisees, this woman, his disciples, and you and I a thing or two about how we should address our sin. How we should address all our sin in our life. See, when it comes to our sin, Jesus gives us five principles to remember. Let's go through them. When I sin, number one, God doesn't see me as a pawn, but as a person. Notice what Jesus says to this woman Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? You One of the glaring differences I notice in this story is how different the scribes and the Pharisees and Jesus use their authority. See, the scribes and the Pharisees, they see this woman as a pawn, as a thing. They go, This woman, Jesus, we caught this woman. In a very act of adultery, in their their view, she's nothing more than property. And that's was common during the time of Christ. To them, she has no dignity, no value, and no name. You see, they see her faults. They don't care about her backstory. They don't care what she's been going through. They see a thing, and they want to use this thing, this person, for their very purpose. Now, listen to me closely. Authority that uses and abuses people is wrong. It's inhuman. Whether you're a preacher, a parent, or a policeman, it's wrong. You see, Jesus doesn't see this person as a thing. She sees her as a human being. He said, he's, Yeah, he says a woman. He says woman, where are your accusers? You say, Well, doesn't he call her a woman? Well, he called his mother that too. He didn't say this woman. He addresses her with respect. I was reading this week about how caring doctors re- are always about names. They're, it's important for them to remember a patient's name. They said that's the most important thing. A patient needs to know you care. And the, one of the ways you show you care is you remember their name. You don't see them as cases. You don't say, oh, there goes the, a kidney transplant or there goes you know, uh, somebody with that's sick. Or there's a high blood pressure person. Or there's an, there's some money there. There's a there's some uh, eye surgery or something. No, they don't look at people as cases. Caring doctors, uncaring doctors look at people that way. Caring doctors look at people in a more personal way. God always looks at you in a personal way. I'm amazed at how much the Bible is fond of names. Look at the Bible says here, in Isaiah 43, verse 1, God is uh, speaking to his his people, Israel, and he says, Don't be afraid, because I have saved you. I have called you by name, and you're mine. I don't know if you know this, but there's about 2,000 people in the Bible that are listed by their name. I remember one time, um, years ago, I used to sit on a daily text, i Read the Daily Bible by F. Lagard Smith. Great Bible if you ever want to read the Bible through in a year. And, uh, you know, you get through the first five books. If you can get through the first five books of the Bible, you're you're pretty well home free, you know. Uh, I remember doing a series on Leviticus. Uh, Leviticus is where, it's the Brussels sprouts in the Bible is what someone called it. Uh, it's where devo- your devotional life goes to die. Uh, well, what about numbers? You get into numbers and it's just lists of people and I remember getting to a list of uh, the passages that I was reading. One particular morning was just lists of names. Most of them I couldn't pronounce. Most of them I didn't know did backstory on. And I remember thinking, "What am I going to get out of this?" And then it hit me. I guess everybody counts. That your name's important, and God knows your name. And this woman here, she she realizes that Jesus looks at her differently than these scribes and Pharisees. And I want you to know, when God looks at you, he sees everything. He sees your weaknesses. He sees your vices. He knows about everything you've said and thought. He knows the sins you've committed. But you are never a thing. Remember that. You are never a thing. You're not a case. Oh, there's a basket case. He doesn't think that way. No, he knows you by name. You belong to him. Look how Jesus compares uh, you with He compares you with a and, and this arrangement, this this idea of a shepherd and his sheep. Look what it says here in John ten. The sheep recognize the voice of the true shepherd, for he calls his own by name and he leads them out, for they belong to him. Never forget that. You know, other people may look at you and as a thing or as of no value, but when Jesus looks at you in your sin your mistakes, when you relapse. He doesn't see a thing. He sees a person that he dearly loves. He sees someone that belongs to him. I need to remember that when I sin. How about you? Number two, when I sin, God is not interested in sentencing me, but saving me. Probably the best uh, statement, response in the Bible I'm about to read to you. He looks at this woman and says, he asks, where's your accusers? She goes they're nowhere to be found. And look what he says, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. This is the son of God. If anybody had the right to condemn anybody, it's God in the flesh, huh? And what's he saying? I don't condemn you. You know adultery was a pretty serious sin in the Bible. In fact, it was it's up there with murder. And the scribes and the Pharisees are right. Moses does does talk about this, and and, and it's clear. Look Look what it says here. If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. Has this woman broke this law? Absolutely. Is she guilty? Of course she is. The law is clear, and so is the sentence. But I want you to see something here. The scribes and the Pharisees are emphasizing the letter of the law. But Jesus, he's emphasizing the heart of the law. And it's totally different. You see, the law was never about punishment. When God sent brought Moses down from Mount Sinai, he held on the stone tablets not the Ten Punishments, but the Ten Commandments. You see, the purpose of the law was for guidance. To bless your life, not to punish you. I don't know where people get this idea that God's somehow in the damning business. He is not. No, it, in fact, the, the old law was about pointing people to Christ. There's over 330 prophecies about Jesus. Numerous references about the Messiah. From Genesis on through Malachi. Why? Well, Paul says in Galatia that it was to prepare us for Christ. It was like a school teacher, a schoolmaster, preparing us for Jesus. You see, God is not excited about condemning. He's He's not just excited about damning. He's excited about delivering people. Look at the Bible says here in John three. We all know three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His own one and only Son. And whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Those are all those are in red letters. Look at verse 17 says, God did not send his son of the world to condemn its people. He sent him to save them. And my question, are people guilty? Well, of course they're guilty. Do they deserve deserve to be punished? Absolutely. But they're in trouble. And when God sees mankind and sees you and I in trouble because of sin, he doesn't come with a club in his hand. He comes with a cross in his hand. He comes to save. I love this passage in Micah 7. It says, who is a God like you? You forgive sin and overlook the rebellion of your faithful people. That's interesting. Faithful people rebel? Yeah. Faithful people sin? Yes, they do. And God forgives them. He says, you will not be angry forever because you'd rather show mercy. The NIV says it's his delight. It's God's delight, delight to forgive and show mercies. It's one of his favorite things to do is to be kind to you. He looks forward to it. Look at what the Bible says here. Uh, Paul said it this way. Therefore, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Hmm. How can there be no condemnation for those in Christ there could be no condemnation for those that trust the Lord that are in Christ because your condemnation, my condemnation, was put on Christ. In other words, so, so sin couldn't keep punishing you and I? God steps in and takes, takes it for you, takes it for me. I want you to know the sin right now that you're dealing with. I want you to remember something. Jesus wants you to learn something. That he wants to save you, not punish you. There's another thing we learn from this passage. When I sin, I must temper my response to the sin of others. That my sin must temper my response to the sin of others. Do you know anybody like this? Maybe you've been like this. I can think of some moments I have. They're tough on others while they're being totally blind to their own sin. They're totally blind to how much God has forgiven them. Now, look at this in John 8. You know That's what the scribes and the Pharisees are. They're so tough on this woman. It says here in John 8, But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. Here's God writing with his finger again. And he's writing on the ground. What's he doing? Is he doodling? Is he just kind of drawing a little circle, letting their statement just sit there for a little bit and soak? I mean, God's written with his finger before. The Ten Commandments he wrote with his finger. A, A king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar watched a finger appear and write on the wall what he was about to go through. Jeremiah 17 talks about those that turn away from the Lord, God writes their their writes them in the dust. What's Jesus doing here when he's writing? And I I'm not really sure. I think we get a hint makes me wonder this word behind write, you know, the, the Greek word for write is grapho. Like we get the word graphite in a pencil. But here this word is katargraphine. And it means to write something against someone. So is Jesus writing maybe some other sins? That maybe folks in the crowd have been? He's reminding them of their sin? Because whatever he's doing, when he says... You without sin. And by the way, when he says you without sin, he's not saying it. If, if you've not done what she's done, you can throw the first stone. He's saying, no, have you ever thought anything like this? this? Is what he's really talking about. Have you ever thought about doing anything like this woman? You know, if you haven't, well, you can throw the first stone. What an indictment. The whole crowd throws, their, drops their stones because they've all thought it at least. What am I trying to say this morning? I'm saying before you, I'm saying to you the same thing that Jesus is trying to tell this this crowd. Before you take aim at her, take aim inside. I mean, does does that change anything? I think it does, because it's like they drop their stones. You're going to drop yours. I'll drop mine. When I start thinking about my sin, and I look at somebody else's sin, and look at mine too. It does change my approach. i got to admit that. Fellas, folks, listen. We live in a very critical, judgmental time in history. And why is it? We forget. We forget to look at ourselves. We overlook our own sin. See, I'm all for grace when it's my sin. Not so much when it's for others. And that needs to change. Listen to what Paul warns in the church in Rome, the Christians in Rome to remember. He says, no matter who you are, before you judge the wickedness of others, you'd better remember this. You're also without excuse. For you, too, are guilty of the same kind of things. When you judge others and you then you do the same things they do, you condemn yourself. You see, Jesus right here is challenging everybody in the room. He's challenging your perspective, too our perspective and how we look at things, what we're going to notice when we notice the sin of others. He's asking us to let our perspective be broadened. You know, I'm, I don't know a lot about cameras, and there's, there's photographers that do, but I know there's a thing called depth of field. And if you're trying to get the, sometimes you're, you're trying to get things in focus, it might mean having the subject that you're trying to have in focus with the rest in background, uh, the background blurs to highlight that. Or maybe you're trying to get the background and, and the person, but have you ever took that picture where you got a beautiful mount, but the person that you're having it standing in front is out of focus? Oh, it's awful. You know, so what do you do? You have to adjust the depth of field and broaden that so it includes both. And I'll tell you folks, Jesus is saying to us, we need to broaden our depth of field as we look at others to include ourselves in the portrait. It changes the way we interpret the picture. When we do that, look what Jesus says here. Boy, he's putting it on us, man. He should. He says, don't pick on people. Jump on their failures. Criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. Is he right? Yeah, he is. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted with contempt? It's this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again, playing a holier than thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. See, if you're going to look at sinners, the first sinner you should look at is yourself. That should be the first on the list because if, when you do that, it, it's the best place to be. You put yourself in the best place to help others. Let's get to number four here. When when I sin, I need to remember this, God stays with me to help me with my sin. This woman, this woman is surrounded by, by our critics with people with rocks. But it isn't long, it's just her and Jesus. Look at what it says here in verse 9. At this, those who heard begin to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Everybody's leaving. Notice it says the older ones first. Hey, listen folks, the older you are, you need to set the pace. You set the pace for everybody else. And he sits there and he said. notice it says that everybody's left. Everybody but Jesus he stays with her. And because he stays with her, he's able to help her with her sin. I want you to know this morning, every simple thought you've thought, every simple act you've committed this week, every simple attitude, action, you do not have to carry it alone. Jesus stays with you. Everybody else may walk out on you, but Jesus stays with you. Not to condemn you, to save you from that sin, to help you with that sin, to help you change, to give you a new normal, a new life. Look what it says in verse 16. Jesus says this in, I'm sorry, in John 14, 16. He wants this so badly. He makes sure that there's someone left behind to help. He says to his disciples, Then I'll ask the Father who sent you the Holy Spirit, to send you the Holy Spirit who will help you and always be with you. Listen, when the dust settles, it's just you and Jesus. And I want you to know, he's, He stays with you. His Holy Spirit w- walks with you. The Spirit of God, of us, living God, stays with you so He can help you with your sin. Remember that when you, when you mess up, when you make a mistake. Here's the last one. When I sin, my response to God's grace is to turn from my sin. There's no better response There's all kinds of, I got to thinking about this early this morning. There's all kinds of motives for doing something, even doing the right thing. Sometimes I can have the motive of fear. I'm doing the right thing because I'm afraid if I don't, I'll get in trouble. Or maybe I'll do something because of greed, because it's some selfish desire. Or maybe it's pride. I'm doing this because of, of some prideful source, some prideful motive. Can I tell you there's the greatest motive of all is gratitude. The greatest motive of all to do something right is for love and gratitude. And it's on the heels of love, of God's love, that this woman experienced some gratitude and Jesus is able to say these wonderful words to her. He says, "It's now it's time for a new normal. Now, go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus is not saying, it's no big deal, whatever, you know, it's okay. Go ahead and keep living like you used to. No. He's saying, you've got to change this. And you've got a great opportunity to do that. You're getting a fresh start. You don't have to carry all this stuff anymore. I mean, think about it. She's come face to face with the grace of God. I mean, how could she leave the same? I mean, would you? Or Better yet, do you? Do you leave the grace of God every day? The same? Oh my. He, God doesn't want you to, to do that. You know, grace, grace is not some wimpy thing. It is passive. And it's it can be very it's a very aggressive. And I want you to know this morning, because of that, I can, you and I can no longer be passive about our sin. We can't. Grace calls you and I to an, to an alternative lifestyle, a new and different lifestyle. It's a life of holiness. So look at these verses as we close. Let them encourage you. Titus says, uh, Paul said this to Titus. For the grace of God that has appeared, that offers salvation to all people, it teaches us to say no. Notice the old and new transition. It says to say No to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. He's saying right now. Now we're living a different life. In this present age, you're leaving your old life of sin, and now you're living a new life, and it begins. It begins the moment you trust the Lord. I love Romans 7 here. When you make a decision like this, folks, when you make a decision to really trust the Lord and leave sin, you get serious about it, it opens up a whole new life for you. Look at what Paul says in Romans 7. But now, notice that word now again, a new normal. Now, by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law so we can we serve in a new way of the spirit and not the old way of the written code. You know, when I trust the Lord, when I was, if I, if I really appreciate the grace of God, guess what? I get serious. He got, his grace got serious about my sin because the love of God was displayed. That grace was displayed by the, by the courage and faith and boldness and sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. That's how serious he was about it. That's how serious grace takes sin. And he's saying, respond in the same serious way. Let it move you to leave your life of sin. I love this passage in Psalms 130. I don't know who wrote it. The psalmist says this, but you forgive us. And so we will worship you. It's because you forgive us, Lord. I'm heading in a new direction. Not about me anymore. Not about what I want. I'm going to worship you. You're going to be first in my life. Sin's not going to be reigning in my life. I'm not going to yield to sin. I'm yielding to you. I bow to you. And I rise and walk this new life. Let me ask you a couple of questions as we close here. Two of the greatest statements I feel like Jesus says are in this this passage. Neither do I condemn you. Let that sink in. Of all the people that you should care about how he feels about your sin... He feels, he feels, he's serious about it, okay? But look what he says. I don't condemn you either. I'm not about that. He doesn't condemn you. The sin you're in right now, he doesn't want to damn you for. He wants to deliver you from it. And then he says, go and leave. Go and leave. And let me ask you if you could do this wherever you are. Write that Write that word, those three words. Go and leave and put a blank there. What is he asking you to leave? He asked this woman to leave her life of sin. What specifically could you say? He doesn't condemn me for that. And he wants me to leave that. What would it be? Let me ask you, will you walk away from it? Do you have the courage and the gratitude to walk away from it? You can this morning. Because when you do, a new normal is waiting for you. A new life. Let's pray. Father, we bow and we thank you for your incredible love. Father, I just think about how many times I've screwed up, how many times I've messed up. What 've what I've said this week, what I've thought this week, what I've looked at, what I've heard, and we all think about that Father. And there there is a group. there's a group of people that would that, that could take us in the very act of what we're doing, call us out and condemn us. And Father, I think they would even try to, even Saint himself tries to use these sins as a trap to trap you. And Father, you don't fall for it. Your son doesn't fall for this trap. Lord, uh, hmm, what do you want us to do? What do each of us need to do? Because you come into the picture. And whether the crowd, the critics come and go, you come into the picture, you stay in the picture, and you're constantly reminding us that you do not condemn us. And you want us to leave that sin. You comfort us and challenge us, Father, at the same time with our sin. Father, what do we need to leave? Thank you for your, your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. For but what do you need us to get serious about? What's the new normal that we should? How should we see our sin? Do we need to look at our sin first before we look at others? Is that what we need to do? Do we need to just accept your forgiveness, Father? Do we need to obey you? Obey the gospel, the good news, Father. We just ask this morning. We ask you give us the fill us, Father, with faith, courage. Let this gratitude motivate us most of all to leave our life of sin and to experience the new normal that's waiting for us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.